Good morning, everyone. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship this morning in church. It's so good to be with you in the same place, um, lifting up our, our uh, hearts together to God um, as he has gathered us into worship this morning. If you're uh, new to First Hamilton, um, whether you're watching the recording uh, later or if, if you're with us for the first time uh, here, we just want to welcome you to this place. Uh, my name's Hayden. I'm one of the pastors here at First Hamilton. And I hope and pray that our worship this morning blesses you as you encounter God and his grace uh, for us. So as we begin our time together, I want to introduce you to our first song, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. It's found in hymnal 575. And you can feel free, the words will be projected on the screen with the music, but you can feel free to use the Bibles or the hymnals in the pews as well. We do ask that you refrain from singing at this time, though, and um, we can join together our hearts in dancing or uh, quiet humming. So please join us. join me in our responsive call to worship uh, that should be on the screens. Praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, you are holy and perfect and worthy of all praise and thanksgiving. Father, we praise you that you have gathered us as your church into this place this morning and in other places in Hamilton and in our world. God, we pray that as we worship you this morning, 
that you would be present with us by your spirit. Help us, Father. Help us in our weakness to hear you, to listen to you, and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as God's people and receive words of greeting this morning. God speaks words of grace to us, and so receive these words. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father. In the love of Jesus Christ, his Son, and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And as you have received God's greeting this morning, I invite you to greet others uh, who are in your pew and all around. You can wave at people, you can, you know, smile with your eyes, all sorts of things. Come to the part of our worship service where uh, God uh, frees us and invites us to be renewed and restored in his grace. You know, we all come into this place carrying things, uh, things that have been said of us or that we've said to others, things that have been done to us or that we've done to others. And we're all broken people. And so God invites us to come before him, to be honest with him as we would be honest with a friend and receive from him grace and forgiveness and assurance. And so would you join me in this prayer of confession this morning? The words will be on the screen. Merciful God, for the things we have done that we regret, forgive us. For the things we have failed to do that we regret, forgive us. For all the times we've acted without love, forgive us. 
for all the times we've reacted without thought. Forgive us. For all the times we have withdrawn care. Forgive us. For all the times we've failed to forgive. Forgive us. For the hurtful words said and helpful words unsaid. For unfinished tasks and unfulfilled hopes. God of all time, forgive us and help us to lay down our burden of guilt and shame. Amen. When we come before God, honestly, we're, we're met with words of assurance. And these words come from the psalmist in Psalm 32, verses 3 to 5. It says, and this is David, When I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. As people of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross, your sin is forgiven. Live in that freedom. Let's sing together hymn number 140, I Want Jesus to Walk With Me. The Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 15. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. 
When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wounds grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate my with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to be associated with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Whether you are at home or worshiping at the church, I'm going to ask that you rise and stand for our gospel reading. Our gospel reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus went to his disciples Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, 
and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was invited to go running with a friend in the Dundas Valley Conservation Area. And so as we descended into the valley, uh, we were running six feet apart side by side, and I began to pull out ahead. Uh, Being the more um, practiced runner out of the two of us, I had the lungs to take me out in front. I knew where we were headed. I knew how to stay on a path. I even knew how to run well, but I didn't know the exact direction. My friend knew this route. That was the problem. I didn't know the way. I tried to lead, but I needed to remember to follow. See, last week we talked about God's big salvation story about how the prophets and the psalmists and the gospel writers had this vision for the salvation of God, the renewal and restoration of us and our world that is present now. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, saw that that Jesus was the Messiah and he confessed it. He said, you are God's salvation But Peter this week is quickly reminded of the exact same thing I was when I headed out in front of my guide on the run. And that is that confessing Jesus as Lord may be the entrance into the salvation story. He is the salvation of God come to us. But walking in God's salvation story is not natural to us. In the readings for today, Peter gets his place confused. Brothers and sisters, so do we. And so as we center ourselves on the gospel text this morning, we see three important things in this story. One is the place of Jesus. Second is the power of Jesus. And third is the presence of Jesus. The place of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. So first, the place of Jesus. This story comes on the other side of the turn in the Gospel of Matthew. Right? Last week, when, when Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, it marked a turning point. This week, we find ourselves on the other side of that. And the text tells us this. It says, from that time on... Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, even die. Now, in fairness to Peter, this is new material for him. As, as a Jew, as, even as a young boy, he would have been sitting on his parents' lap and he would have heard stories of the Messiah. Stories of the power and glory of the Messiah. How how this Messiah would take on evil and injustice in their world and ascend to the throne of David, leading the people of Israel out of captivity, out of exile, and into the presence and the power of God once again. A renewed relationship with their God. And so when hearing that Jesus would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, on top of that be killed... It was too much. And Peter knew he had to speak up. He had to say something. And so Peter gets from behind Jesus in front of him and tells him that he is not going to suffer. He's not going to die. That's not the Messiah way. See, Peter was right about Jesus. He was wrong about the way of Jesus. But we can't be too hard on Peter because his heart was actually probably in the right place. The Greek here for the rebuke that Peter offers Jesus is a rebuke in the same way that you would confront a friend who's doing something that you know is hurtful to them. The Greek words here are grace-filled and actually full of assurance. 
It can be literally translated something like, this is not God's grace for you. This is not the Messiah way. In this rebuke, two paths collide. The way that believes that, that success is the way of Jesus and the way that believes that suffering is the way of Jesus. So Jesus, hearing Peter's rebuke quickly, wheels around and offers Peter some humble pie. You know, we read this and we go, whoa, what's up with that? Those are some harsh words. Doesn't he see, doesn't he understand that Peter was just trying to help? But again, there's grace in, Peter, in Jesus' rebuke of Peter. The harshness is a grace in itself. Think about it like this. So Austin is two, almost two, my son. And he is now at the age where there are things in our house that are dangerous to him that he can get into and that he knows he can get into. And the more dangerous something is, the more quickly and the more intentionally and the more harshly our rebuke is of him, the oven is a big owie. Because it is. <laughs> our rebuke is grace-filled. It is intended to bring life, not take it. It is intended to extend his freedom, not limit it. See, this is what Jesus is doing with Peter because Peter's cultural idea of the way of the Messiah was dangerous. Not just because it was wrong, but because it was small. It had a narrower view of, of the, the vision for God's salvation as inviting all people, all places, all things to renewed and restored life. We often follow Peter's example. We step out in front of Jesus and remind him of what's best. When things don't work out the way that we want them to, or the, even the way that looks best to us, our prayers can turn into Peter's rebuke of Jesus. Oh no, God, you've got this wrong. It's supposed to go like this and not like this. Don't you see? This is clearly the right way. God, you can't allow this if you knew this. But we ourselves, just like Peter, are controlled by our culture's ideas of freedom and happiness. And these ideas can actually get in the way of an even greater freedom and joy that Jesus has for us. I'm reminded of the words of Johnny Erickson Tata, the woman who was at a young age involved in a diving accident that led to uh, being severely limited in her body's movement. She experienced tremendous chronic pain, and she says these words. She says, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. The Bible teaches us that our place isn't in front of Jesus or beside Jesus. It's behind him. It's following him, even if it means to Jerusalem even if it means suffering many things, because sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. How can this be? How can we follow Jesus like this? Well, it's because of the power of Jesus. We need Jesus in front of us because we don't have the power that he has the path that Jesus takes comes down to a word in the opening verse of this passage in Matthew that's translated as must. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. And in the Greek, the word literally means it is necessary. It is a necessary part of Jesus' life that he take this path. 
and what is necessary for Jesus to do in Jerusalem to suffer many things. And again, this, the suffer many things has a, has, has a deeper meaning. It literally means to bear everything. Put it together. It is necessary for Jesus to go to Jerusalem to bear everything. Our representative, Jesus, bears all our fears and failures. He takes them to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he takes them to the cross. We need the power of Jesus in our lives because we can't do this for ourselves. We get lost in our sin and in our brokenness and where our sin leads us. We look for love and acceptance in fragile and broken places. Traditional cultures tell us that we're nothing unless we gain the honor of our family or our communities. Traditional cultures say that we are what our communities think of us. And so the most important thing becomes keeping up an appearance and pleasing the people that are around us. This is the part of us that shows up at church in our best, with our best face on. Not letting people see what's really going on underneath the hood because if we have it all together, then we are worthy of love and acceptance. Modern culture flips the script and tells us that what makes us worthy of receiving love and acceptance is not necessarily honoring family and community, but honoring yourself being true to yourself and what you believe about yourself. The only way we're told that, that we're worthy of love is if we're not controlled by what other people think of us or what other people say is right and wrong. Both traditional and modern cultures force us to depend on something for love and acceptance. But Jesus tells us that'll never work. It'll never be enough for us to truly know that we are significant and worthy of love. Without Jesus bearing all things for us, we will always be relying on voices outside of us or inside of us to tell us that we are enough. You can gain the whole world, Jesus says, but give up your soul, your inner identity, your, your being in the process. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? But in the gospel, Jesus has the love of God. When Jesus was baptized at the beginning of the Gospels, when he was empowered for his mission, when he was set apart, a voice from heaven, from God the Father, said to him, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Words of love and acceptance and affirmation. And we would expect this because we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a part of the Trinity, which some theologians call the dance of love. That Jesus is a part of this eternal community being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, fully loved, fully accepted, fully affirmed in who he was. But when Jesus went to the cross, when he went to Jerusalem, when he suffered many things, when he took upon himself all of our fears, our brokenness, and went to the cross, he was stripped. He let himself be stripped. Not just of his clothes, he was stripped of his identity. He was beaten. He was abandoned. When he cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because God's love had vanished from him at that moment on the cross and he was feeling the effects. Jesus was cast out from the very presence of God. He lost his identity as a, as a part of the Trinity for that moment when he hung to die. Now why would the Son of God, 
do that? Because of God's salvation story. Jesus carried all our sin and brokenness to the cross so that we could have the weight lifted off. Jesus lost his identity on the cross so that we could receive a new one, a gospel identity, an identity that assures us of our forgiveness, of, our, of being loved, not based on our performance or on our ability, but upon his It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things and die so that we could be led into life. But what about now? Where is Jesus now? The Bible tells us that he rose again on the third day. He destroyed death, rose to new life, and ascended to heaven. Every year we celebrate Christ the King Sunday right before Advent as a reminder and rehearsing the fact that Christ is King over all. He is on the throne in heaven and he is present in our lives by his Holy Spirit. But if Jesus were just a king, then everyone would have to submit to him and follow him out of fear of him. But Jesus is a king with a cross. As he sits on the throne of heaven, he still has the nail marks on his hands that show us his character and his love. A king with a cross tells a story. A king with nail marks in his hands tells us that we can trust him. We can say to him, anything you ask of me, I will do. Because you have proven yourself worthy of complete trust. Peter didn't get it right all the time. He continued to get it wrong, which is good news for us, isn't it? Because we don't get it right all the time either. But Peter stuck with Jesus, didn't he? And he learned the way of love. Peter knew that to save his life, he must lose it. And Jesus here, he isn't saying that we must physically lose our life. It's not that. The Greek word is the, is the, the word for, the, uh, called psyche, which is where we get the psychology from. It's talking more about our identity, our being, than about our physical life. What Jesus is saying is that in order to save your identity, you must put me first in every area of your life. Living out of a gospel identity leads to freedom because it's weightless, because Jesus carries all things. He has carried it to the cross. But Jesus must come first in every area of our lives. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, the verses that Micah read for us today. That is is a gospel identity lived out. And I want to share a story with you in concluding of love in action. It's about John and Cass. It's a story I read this week. John and Cass sang in the church choir. They were wonderful people, generous people, hospitable people to those in and outside of their community. They had four kids under the age of seven. And Cass was a busy full-time Mom, John was recently laid off from his job, and they were looking for ways to figure things out. Knowing that John was out of work and that this wasn't uh, full public knowledge, the choir director decided to, at the end of the rehearsal, take an offering for the family. The choir director just Uh, made an announcement saying that some of the members of the choir had found themselves in a tough place and that we could help them by giving generously. And so people reached into their pockets, they wrote checks, money was collected, the offering was taken. And when it was counted, the choir director discovered that the biggest check had been written by John and Cass. How can this be? 
You know, some of us would say irresponsible. We may call them overly generous, but isn't that the way of Jesus? Isn't that love being practiced? Because Jesus embraced poverty on the deepest level, poverty of self, so that we could experience the richness of belonging to God. That generosity is love in action, love that flows out of a renewed identity in Jesus. It takes guts and it takes trust. And it's not natural for us, and it's hard, and it takes practice, and there's grace for all of us, but it flows out of Jesus and his great invitation to us this morning, which is, will you let me show you the way? I'm full of grace, there's always second chances, but my way will lead you to discover that true joy and true life and true happiness is found when you empty yourself of yourself and follow me. Let's pray. We th thank you, Father, that you are a generous God, a graceful God, one who is patient with us. Father, we uh, thank you for Jesus and the abundant life that he invites us into. Father, may we as your body practice love the way you did. Help us to learn this way and to follow your spirit as you guide us every day in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to rise and sing with us our song of response, Be Thou My Vision. It's found hymnal number 859. Would you bow your heads with me as we offer uh, prayers of thanksgiving and intercession together? And I'm going to allow some space for us to quietly um, just uh, pray uh, things that God brings to our own hearts. Almighty God, powerful three in one, Holy Father, we thank you that we can come before you in prayer and that you hear us and respond to us. God, your greatness is evident to us. 
We see it in each other and in our world. We experience it in the sounds of singing, in the silence of solitude. We feel it through your Holy Spirit that's alive in each one of us who believe and who call on your name as Lord. God, today, as we gather as your church, I pray on behalf of your people, you know us, you have searched us, and although I come on behalf of our church, I pause and offer space for people to offer individual praises to your name. God, as we have been gathered into worship today by your grace, we carry with us burdens, worries, anxieties, pain, loss, tears, scars, resentment. And we need you to minister to us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Father, we bring before you the needs of our congregation. We pray for Asher and his leg. Father, as this continues to bother him, heal him by your power. Free him to climb trees, to go for walks, to build things without pain or thought of his leg. We pray for Anne, who continues to recover from a fall. Restore her. God, we know of so many more who are hurting, lonely, shut in, who are fearful, overtired, and overworked. We miss being able to gather together under one roof and to fellowship, encourage, and to walk alongside each other in ways that are familiar to us, be near to us as a church, and draw us together in the midst of the pandemic. God, I offer space for us to offer our own prayers for our church. God, we pray for our city for the violence that we hear about in the news, for all the communities that gather together in your name, that we would bless the city in the way of love you teach us. Help us as the church in Hamilton to keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray for the schools in Hamilton, for the teachers that will inhabit the classroom, for the students who will study either in the classroom or at home, we pray for our leaders, the MPPs, the counselors, our mayor. Give courage and wisdom to these people to make the right, tough decisions. We pray for universities and colleges, Redeemer, McMaster, Mohawk, and others as they return to the fall semester. Bless the educators, the staff, the students. God, I offer space for us to pray our own prayers for our city. Father, our prayer is also for the global, worldwide church. Your body is diverse and strong, but there are people who are experiencing hardship and persecution. This is to be expected, Father, but it is not pleasant or wanted. Give courage and boldness to those experiencing persecution and help us also to put on the faith without the fear of persecution. May we keep you our focus. Bless your church worldwide. Father, our hearts break when we hear of violence and death all over the world. Racism flares up again this week, and we need you to act 
in a powerful way. I pray for our country and its leaders as they continue to be tested in their leadership. And I can only imagine the burnout and anxiety that they are experiencing. I ask you to give them the rest they need to do the work of leading our country. Give them also wisdom and guidance. God, I offer space for us to offer our own prayers for our country and our world. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Good morning. The first offering this week will go to our annual ministry plan here at First Hamilton. The second offering is for the Benevolence Fund, which supports the deacons in allowing them to provide help to those experiencing financial crises. The second offering next week is for the short-term mission fund. Please continue to give generously and pray regularly for these causes. Thank you. I invite you to rise to receive words of blessing and benediction from God. These words are based on 2 Corinthians 13, verse 13. May the grace of Christ which renews us daily, and the love of God which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's sing together the words of the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> 